and welcome to the Bureau Podcast. I'm Matt Cowan, the Bureau Chief and your host. Thank you for listening in. Coming up in this episode, I've got some news, an interview and a review. Be sure to stick around for that and more. So let's get into it. But before we get into the news, I'd like to thank the people who've taken the time to contact me and tell me they like the podcast and that they're happy it's back. Thank you, Brandon, as always, for your positivity. I'm glad you enjoyed the news segment. Brandon's a YouTuber, so if you're into Vietnamese street food videos, I highly recommend you check out his channel, Bao Eats. It's a cracker and deserves way more views. That's Bao Eats, B-A-O, if you're wondering how to spell it. Also, a big thank you to Pia, who up until last week had been traveling in Vietnam. And she reached out to me after she'd seen my post in a Facebook travel group in which I was, yes, unashamedly plugging my audio walk called Saigon's First Chinatown. Somebody has to do it. And I'm rapt to say she actually did it. She actually did the walk. Can you believe it? So that was both amazing and surprising. I don't know of anyone else having done it. Um, If you have, let me know. But She tells me she loved it, which I'm pretty excited about. And she gave me some feedback. Um, And she also left me an awesome testimonial as well. So thank you very much, Pia. You've pumped me up. And by the way, you can find my audio walk on the website at thebureauasia.com. There's a banner there that you just need to click on and it'll redirect you to the landing page where you can listen to a teaser and follow the easy steps to listen to my audio walk. Get on it especially if you're visiting Ho Chi Minh City or even if you're not for that matter and would like something to do in addition to or other than the usual stuff like getting stuck down the claustrophobic and hot and humid Gucci tunnels and the coconut candy island down there around Benje in the Mekong Delta or the War Remnants Museum. Be like Pia and give my audio walk a go. As I mentioned, access it on the website at thebureauasia.com or on your favourite podcasting platform where you find this one, just look for the Bureau podcast. You'll see my ugly mug on the thumbnail. Um, It's free, by the way, as well. So uh, all you need is really a, a Spotify account or any other platform that you use to listen to podcasts. And last but not least, to Crowey, who left a message on the Spotify page of the podcast last episode. Thank you for sending me a message. I saw it. Let's hope we can catch up at Chickas again sometime soon. They tell me it's still rocking. Euro News. Last week, an editorial in VN Express, a large news site here, caught my attention in relation to the proliferation of beauty pageants in Vietnam. According to the report, there have been nearly 20 beauty pageants in the first half of this year alone in Vietnam, with more to come. Among them, Miss Peace Vietnam, Miss Grand Vietnam, Miss Vietnam Sea and Island, Miss Vietnam and Miss Earth Vietnam. It was reported that the reason for so many new pageants is that the Department of Performing Arts eased regulations around the creation of the pageants, with organisers now only needing approval from the local People's Committee. Before the easing of the regulations, there were only two licensed national beauty pageants each year. The director of Miss World Vietnam, which was held on August 12, estimated that the event was watched live by 20,000 people. 
Supporters of the beauty pageants believe the contests help promote tourism and regional and national cultures and that it demonstrates the growth of Vietnam's entertainment industry. Meanwhile, the number of people aged 18 to 20 undergoing cosmetic procedures in Vietnam is growing. It was reported in the news here recently that at a 2019 plastic surgery seminar, delegates estimated that 250,000 people in Ho Chi Minh City alone wanted to have some kind of cosmetic intervention, with 100,000 of those being aged between 25 and 35. Meanwhile, the average age of plastic surgery patients in Vietnam is 18 to 19 years old. A 22-year-old woman died in the southern province of Lom An in March after undergoing rhinoplasty at an unlicensed facility, while around the same time, a 33-year-old woman died after undergoing breast augmentation surgery in Ho Chi Minh City. This follows the death of a 59-year-old woman back in 2019 after a facelift procedure also in Ho Chi Minh City. Before that, in 2017, an American man died at a Saigon clinic during a procedure resulting in the facility being slapped with a $2,760 fine. And as far back as 2013, a woman died in Hanoi during a liposuction and breast enhancement procedure that resulted in her surgeon being sentenced to 19 years in jail for malpractice and for dumping the woman's body into a river. The Vietnamese bubble tea market turned over 362 million US dollars in 2021 ranking it third among the six major Southeast Asian markets, according to a recent study by Singapore-headquartered Momentum Works and digital payment solution firm Club. The region's largest market was Indonesia at an estimated 1.6 billion US dollars a year, while Thailand came in second at 749 million US dollars. As of April 2022, Vietnam had 439 bubble tea shops with over half located in Ho Chi Minh City. Local brand Boba Pop is the leading bubble tea brand in Vietnam with 89 stores. The brands with the next most stores are Tiger Sugar, 48 stores, The Alley, 47, and Gong Cha, 42. Bubble tea was born in Taiwan in the 1980s when the owner of a small shop came up with the method of mixing and shaking tea with milk and ice. Later, The drink was enhanced with fruit flavours and tapioca. Bubble tea was introduced to Vietnam 20 years ago and was initially sold by street vendors and was simply called Taiwanese milk tea. These days, popular franchise brands like Gong Cha, R&B and Koi Te attract young customers to sip their drinks in fully furnished spaces with air conditioning, music and workspaces. Bubble tea in Vietnam hasn't been without its scandals, however. It's believed large quantities of milk tea in major cities is produced using fake ingredients, much of them unidentified and potentially harmful to human health. And nutritionists have warned that the term milk tea is sometimes misleading as real milk is rarely used in the drink. In addition, there have also been reports of the pearls, the so-called bubbles made from tapioca, also being fake and made from harmful polymers. Bubble tea was also at the centre of a high-profile murder case a couple of years back when drinks were found to have been intentionally laced with cyanide by a jilted lover wanting revenge. 42 Vietnamese people escaped from a Cambodian casino last week by swimming across a border river from Cambodia into Vietnam. They say they were escaping the ill treatment of their employer who operates online gaming over the border. 
They have said they were overworked and not paid or given any rest and decided to escape across to Vietnam where border guards held them for questioning. It's believed that one of the workers, a 16-year-old boy, was swept away and drowned while a second person was caught by the casino owners before making it to the river. Since the original report, the manager of the casino, a Chinese national, has been arrested and has admitted to forcing the group to work against their will, but still claims the workers owed the company money. Before their escape, the workers were told that if they wanted to return to Vietnam, they would have to pay the casinos up to $30,000. The casinos had promised to pay the workers $800 US per month, but had paid the workers only $400 to $500 US a month sparking a dispute leading to the escape. Each year, many Vietnamese are tricked into going to Cambodia to work for casinos and similar places, only to be exploited when they arrive and are held against their will. The director of Anyang Police has said that the escapees revealed that they knew of more than 2,000 Vietnamese who had been smuggled into Cambodia to work in casinos. It's believed none of the workers who escaped last week had passports. Talks are underway between Apple and the Vietnamese government regarding the potential for Apple Watches and MacBooks to be manufactured here, according to a recent article in Nikkei Asia. Apple suppliers in Vietnam have allegedly started test production of Apple Watches, suggesting the possibility of the device being produced outside of China for the first time. Vietnam is already Apple's most important production hub outside of China, says the article, producing a wide range of products, including iPad tablets and AirPod earphones. Producing the devices would be a win for Vietnam as the country attempts to further upgrade its tech manufacturing sector. The article also reports that Apple has also continued to shift iPad production to Vietnam after COVID-related lockdowns in Shanghai have caused massive supply chain disruptions. It's also believed there's potential for Apple's HomePod smart speakers to be produced in Vietnam as well in the near future. As for MacBooks, Apple has asked suppliers to set up test production in Vietnam, signalling the tech giant's future intentions. Apple's move to Vietnam started with the mass production of AirPods in 2020, with the number of suppliers increasing to at least 22 from 14 in 2018. Meanwhile, many other major electronics manufacturers like Google, Dell and Amazon have also set up production in Vietnam to diversify beyond China. And in sport, Ho Chi Minh City is getting ready to hold its Ho Chi Minh City Sky Run again on October 30 after a three-year break due to COVID-19. The event will be held at the Batexco Financial Tower in District 1. The tower is Vietnam's fourth tallest building, standing at 262 metres high with 68 floors. Runners will, however, run up just 49 floors, a total of 1,002 steps to a height of 178 metres. The Batexco Financial Tower was completed in 2010 and at the time was Vietnam's tallest building, but was soon surpassed by the 72-floor Kangnam Hanoi Landmark Tower in 2011. Landmark 81, completed in 2020, is now the tallest in Vietnam and the second tallest in Southeast Asia at 81 floors and standing at 461 metres high. Registration for the Sky Run is open now. And that's all the Bureau news for now. Well, there you have it, the Bureau news for this episode. 
There were some pretty intriguing items in there, weren't there? You just never know what's going to happen from one day to the next here in Vietnam. But I suppose that's part of what keeps us here. Let me know what you thought by answering the short poll I've attached to the bottom of this episode on Spotify. I'd really appreciate your feedback to make things better. If you're listening on a different platform, let me know on Facebook at The Bureau Asia or go to the website, thebureauasia.com, where I'll post this episode and you'll be able to drop your comment there. As always, be nice. Well, I got some positive feedback about my interview with Nomadic Notes last episode. Make sure you check it out if you haven't heard it already. And in this episode, I chat to someone who's been working in public relations for the past 20 years. Jelena Sia is the Southeast Asia Managing Director of GHC Asia. GHC is a leading regional PR agency with offices in Hong Kong, China and Singapore, with a network of international partners and has been operating for over 20 years. GHC spans the lifestyle and corporate sectors with an influential reputation in hospitality, travel, tourism, F&B, luxury and property. Jelena is also an avid traveller outside of her busy travel schedule, which has seen her travel to a bunch of countries already since travel restrictions have been lifted around the world. I caught up with her in Saigon this week. Jelena Sia, welcome to Saigon. How has it changed since you were here last? Well, thanks, Matt. It's such a pleasure to be on the Bureau. Asia, as I'm told. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> podcast. So thank you so much for having me on this. This is my first yeah. time. So It's great um, that you're here. Yeah, I love Vietnam. And I was um, just in Da Nang before I came over to Ho Chi Minh City. So, yeah, I think um, this is something that I'm really looking forward to, the return of travel. And I hope to be coming back again and again and again in the near future. So how's it changed since you were here last? When was the last time you were here, actually? The last time I came was just before COVID, the year before COVID. So that's 2018. We were in Halong Bay via Hanoi. So I didn't really come via Ho Chi Minh City. Right. What has changed? A lot has changed. There's less tourists, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Not great for your business though, is no, it? No, we came yeah, at that time was when tourism in Vietnam was on the upswing and it was the year 2018, 2019 when everybody was coming through to Vietnam. So this time round is a little bit more sedate. Yeah, it is. And I felt like there's less of this intense pressure to like this. this the pace is slower. Pollution definitely is better. There's so much better quality of air out here now. Yep. And what I really found interesting was the people. Maybe it's because I'm in Ho Chi Minh City now and I'm in this hotel called Wink Hotel Saigon Center, but they're full of young millennials. What impressed me was this level of pride, their level of English, and this confidence that is not common to the other tourist attractions where you know most of these resort towns or these tourist attractions. We don't get to see so many young people working in tourism there. Right. But what I'm seeing around to me, especially in this Dakao district, I'm just seeing that that vibe which is missing in Da Nang where I was at. And when I'm talking to them, I really felt that sense of national pride. And, and, and they're like telling me what to do, where to go. And they're not the usual tourist attractions, which really impressed me. Right. So okay. Interesting. I'm really glad to see like the younger generation of Vietnamese are engaging with foreigners like me and we could actually communicate. I like that. Yep. 
Yeah, there's a lot of that. And, um, of course, I've been here since 2010. So <laughs> I think for <laughs> it's a while, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, that's a very noticeable aspect yes. of Vietnam these days that that young generation has come up and they're, they're better educated, they're, they're better travelled. Um, I guess what you would say is more worldly, I suppose, in a sense. Yeah, and that gave them that confidence which... Uh, was lacking when I was last here. Right. When I was here, I didn't really see much of them. I didn't have a chance to interact with them that much because uh, maybe I was with a lot more girlfriends at that time. We didn't have that time to talk to uh, the locals. But this time around, I just really felt like, wow, these guys know what they're talking about. Yeah, you know? right. And we could connect. So I enjoy that. And how's Dunang at the moment? <laughs> Love it. Okay. Love it. It's a different vibe from Ho Chi Minh City for sure. Very, yeah. And it is when you get there, it's straight away, even though it's quite an industrial, we drove past Da Nang City. It's got this city vibe, it's got, you're full of traffic and we can feel that commercial kind of uh, pulse going on. But most of the time I was in a resort, so I didn't have that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have that sense of urban life. So it was a good escape. Yeah. And so I was there for four days and that sort of, me in that contrasting mood to Ho Chi Minh City, which is it's just a heartbeat of the country. I just really feel like everything is so vibrant. We could feel that rhythm the moment I step out. Right. But Da Nang was hot. Yeah. Yeah, it Gosh. is pretty hot this time I'm of year. I'm a Singaporean yep. and I couldn't take the heat. It was but the upside is the beach there, you know, so it's one of the, obviously one of the major cities in Vietnam, but it's got this sort of unique aspect to it that it's it's got a, an amazing beach. And monkeys. <laughs> Don't talk Lots to me about monkeys. monkeys. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> now uh, let's get into it. You've been in the hotel PR game for more than 20 years now. Yes. Can you believe it? Would you do it all again? Yes. If given the chance? For sure. Okay. I started in a hotel PR when it, when I graduated from the university, you know, because I always knew that I wanted to do hotel PR. Believe it or not, I have a second class honours degree in marketing from the Nanyang Technological University because that's what we have to do. From young, we have to go from primary school to secondary school to specialise in pure sciences. And my father at that time decided that, oh, you know, computers are the way to go. And he put me into this thing called computer science for the GCE A-levels. And so I had an A-level certificate for computer science but I didn't understand computers at the time they were the mainframes and there were dot metrics but I just had to do it and then he says oh you had to go and do this university degree in marketing because that's just how it's gonna be okay and so I finished it and so with all this nice certificate I graduated and I said yeah okay I'm done so now I want to do what I want to do because I've given him back all the money that he invested in my education <laughs> I'm going to do hotels and back and hotel is just an industry where you don't just go in as a manager you have to start really really low from the ground level Okay. so I started off as a PR coordinator handling like back in those days slides faxing of press releases putting releases in the mail and sending them off that was administration for at least two years but that's only 20 years ago yeah it's incredible isn't incredible. it how technology and now everything is like email attachments we have drop boxes or boxes to send like high resolution files things have changed but what didn't change is the fact that the hotel industry is an industry only for the people who are passionate about it. Right. It's, I will not 
tell a lie and say that this is very fun, this is very glamorous. It's not. It's hard work. Most of the people in the hotel industry work really long hours, but they do it for the passion of the job. So people will think that oh you're so lucky you get to work in this beautiful five star hotel because my background was Raffles, Shangri La, Capella, and now I have this privilege of representing a PR agency that handles only luxury travel. They thought it's glamorous, but it's not. <laughs> it's really, really not. We work really long hours. We stand on our feet. And back in the hotel days, we had to stand on nice black high heels with stockings、right. and a suit. And it's at least fourteen-hour days, sometimes seven days a week. So people think, oh yeah, but you get to eat all this amazing cuisine. You、yep. always have this amazing chefs coming up to the hotel to do promotions. But they don't understand that as a PR person, I have to eat that dish three times a day. <laughs> as long as the chef is there, it gets physically. Uh, disturbing when you have to eat that same. You just want to go down to the hawker store and. <laughs> I just want to eat instant noodles yeah, yeah. or McDonald's, which is what we do actually. So we'll deliver and then they'll come to the back of the staff entrance and we'll just take McDonald's、right. from there. Don't tell the GM. So while a lot's changed, the the actual sort of working part of it, the nuts and bolts of your job hasn't really changed. You're actually you're probably working even harder these days because you're online and you're contactable around the clock, right? Yeah. So what has changed is that I'm sitting on a different side of the table now. <laughs> I used to be the client telling the agency,、right. the PR agency, what to do, and this is what we need. So now I'm on the other side where the clients tell me what they need, and I have the ability to tell them what will work and what will not work because I've been there, I've done that, so I know what I'm talking about, and so it's fun. I'm having a lot more fun because I can do different different、uh, sectors within the tourism industry, from cruises to resorts to、um, tourism boards to、um, travel tech. So that's quite fun because I get to learn. A cruise is coming back. Let me tell you, cruises are coming back very strong. Really? Very yes. So I was on a cruise to Alaska just last two months ago in June with my family, and it's it's full. I mean, we represent. Region Seven Seas Cruises and Oceania Cruises, and both are luxury. And the moment they release a new season for the 2024, 2025, they get sold out. And that shows the level of pent up demand for cruises. Back when the pandemic started, there was just a few bad press, and that was at a time when COVID did not even have a name. Nobody knew what was it. Nobody even understood the magnitude of this. Virus is going to bring tourism to a halt. Nobody knows. But what the cruises, together with the hotel industries and the aviation industry, all these、uh, industries, they were very fast, very nimble, and really sensitive to the kind of concerns that travelers have. And that's why there is this major rebound so quickly. It happened faster in Europe and in the U.S. than Asia. But the fact is, it has rebounded because. Brands understood what is needed to put confidence back into travel, and I think that's really important to tell to be for a brand to be able to explain to the guests. This is what we have done since the pandemic started. You're gonna be very safe because we have introduced these new measures. We have these new adjustments to how the rooms and the air and the cleanliness hygiene program has been set up. You're gonna be safe. And actually, the cruises went a step further than the hotels because they are like, if you are not vaccinated, 
And if you do not show us a negative test, you cannot board. So actually in a cruise, you actually are in a very contained, safe environment versus a hotel. Because a hotel lobby, anyone, whether positive, negative, vaccinated or not, you could enter a hotel. But in a cruise, they went that extra step to make sure that if you don't meet our criteria, then you're not going to board the ship. So what what demographic is it coming back in? So is it is it young people or sort of my my idea of cruises is the traditional sort of oldies that are, that are, that go on them? Oh, you should go on there, <laughs> and you're gonna tell me. I can't ballroom dance. <laughs> you don't have to. So that's because a that's, that's my that image of going on cruises, myth. ballroom that dancing, and myth. I don't know origami or something. I'll be honest, and I will say that my recent cruise experience had a lot more senior cruisers and my nieces who are in their teens felt a little bit out of place but it is not the stuffy retirees and people in wheelchairs it's not but it's a perfect place for you to see many different destinations without unpacking and packing and unpacking and packing because you do the embarkation you settle into your suite or cabin and then the next morning you're someplace else. I can see why you're in PR. You're kind of selling it to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's cruising is actually a great convenient way to see many destinations at one go. So what I went to, I went to a pure Alaskan cruise, so I went to four ports of calls. But wow. what really is very popular for the Asians because of the short attention span and our <laughs> passion to travel to so many places, do so many things. Right. They have all these European and Mediterranean cruises where you have to do a 10-day cruise and you cover a lot of spots in one one slot. That means you bought, you go around the, the different itinerary and then you come back. <laughs> it's, it's very easy. If you have to pack, unpack the next day, go to the airport, go through the immigration, go to another yeah. city, do that whole thing, yep. go to the airport, go to the third city, that's, that's exhausting. So tell me about the Alaskan trip. Well, we did the Seattle to Seattle eight days and we went to four port of calls. So we went to see different parts of Alaska because the cruise that I went to was a smaller ship. So we could go deeper into places where the mega cruises could not go. So usual cruises, which most Asians are familiar with, are those that are mega hotels with four to 5,000 passengers. They're I will like, not say that's the like brand- a township. Yeah, so four to five thousand. Mm, those My big God. ones. There are all and those. And for how how many days are they on the water for? On it a, depends. You can do a seven to eight, which is the minimum, oh to God. like 15, 20. Okay. So those are the big ships. We went on a smaller one, very intimate, only maximum six to seven hundred passengers, and that kept us more and happy. And we go around to. Do you see the same chicken. people more than yes. once? <laughs> yes. So yes. you got to be careful at the cocktail bar the night before at happy hour. Yes, so we have to behave ourselves because we have to be on that same ship with these people for eight days. We see each other at the restaurants, we see each other when we're getting ready to join the excursions every day. We see each other at the casino, which all Chinese and Asians love. And then, yeah, of course, there are activities. Yeah, I say that because that's was really fun because it's not that usual casino that I'm used to. There's, right. there's very few and it's it's a very different style of enjoying the game, not that it's like a oh, sport. Okay. It's like not. hooky. <laughs> do Something. they still do hooky on cruise ships? No. Huh? I mean, because my 
the experience a I hall had, or whatever it's called. So the experience I have was because, like I said, a lot of them were the more senior right. cruises, and it was so luxury. It was a luxury trip yes, as well. Right? Hooky's not a not on the <laughs> it's agenda. It's so seventies. Yeah, actually, I've got a a good mate of mine who, in a previous life, was a photographer, and he has a great story about working on a cruise ship cruising up and down the west coast of America mm. and into South America. And long story short, he, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to tell this story, but he was uh, taking photos for a wedding. And so obviously the wedding happened on board and also the honeymoon at the same time, essentially, but with family and friends. So I think he was on the ship for about five or whatever days, or it was at least a weekend. And he was taking photos of the wedding and he ducked back to his cabin to it was back in the day when you know it was film we didn't have digital cameras so he had to duck back to his cabin and replace the film and that's when he realized he hadn't put a film a roll of film actually in his camera so he had to spend the rest of the trip he had to try and lie his way out of it but he he was it didn't work and um (laughs) he also had to see the family and and the bridal the wedding couple. Uh, Did he keep his job? <laughs> I think that was the end of his photography <laughs> career. For, fortunately, he's gone on to bigger and better things now, though. Oh. But funny story. Um, okay, so let's get into media because mm. we're sort of, you know, we're, we're involved in that. That's sort of how thing we met. There. Yeah, that's how we met. Yes. And today's actually the first time we've met face, face to face. face and had lunch together. We're ticking off some boxes. First yeah. podcast. But I know I felt like I've known you for a long time, though. Oh, that's the so sweet. The power of technology. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, actually, I've got to say, you're one of the most positive people online, <laughs> but mean? in person as well. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the the texts that you sent me and the the emojis and stuff like that. It's it's really nice. It's a breath of fresh air. It's my job. I mean, yeah. I have to. Yeah, it's you're good at it. You're very. Do you ever stop? No. Do you ever? Do you ever sort of get back to your room and just go, oh? Okay. Actually, that's a very good question, you know, because COVID happened and it sort of opened up a whole new world for me because I realised I'm actually introvert, I think. Right. No, no. I, it's I, I pretty hard to believe. It's true. Wow. This thing happened and I sort of had a suspicion that I'm an introvert when I shifted from uh, the hotel job, from the client to the agency. And there was this long break in between and I said, I'm going to Bali. And I'm going to do the silent retreat because I'm between jobs. There'll be no emails. I'm not in PR for three months. That means nobody's going to contact me. As a PR person, especially for my job, I'm on call 24-7. There's always a crisis. I cannot switch off my phone. Yeah. But because I was between jobs, I told everybody I'm going for a silent retreat. And my mom was like, are you sure? Maybe it's easier for you to go to Mount Everest than for you to be <laughs> silent for three days. I'm like, I'm going to do it. So that was something that I have to do to check in my iPad, laptop, mobile phone. And I go to this resort where I cannot talk. Wow. Everything. And I see other Sounds guests. Sounds frightening, doesn't it? It's, it's liberating. And I've enjoyed that. Everybody asks, like, did you survive? I'm like, of course. And I came out better. And so that sort of, that was five days because it was between job. I was in crisis. I was going to a new life as an agency being the agency inside a client and I sort of, okay, went into things, started work and it was bam, bam, bam for three years and then COVID hit. And we were under lockdown, very strict lockdown for two months. 
thoroughly enjoyed myself. I feel like you've slipped back into the old role though pretty comfortably since things have opened up yeah, by the sounds of it. It's like well, a lot of people were telling me about depression issues, right. anxiety. They were struggling of like being at home with no social contact. They they were not feeling that kind of um, happiness was, that I was feeling. How, how, <laughs> was how long was the lockdown in Singapore for? Two, was, about two months. Okay. We had was, four, I think, here. It's just was pretty it bizarre. Hard to, pretty hard, yeah. Yeah. Well, ours is not that hard in a sense. We had like we a curfew do. and stuff like that. Okay, as we well. didn't and have that. Military came in as well, delivering food and stuff. Well, so our lockdown was mostly regulated by social responsibility. Right. Where we refrained from going out too much. Anyway, the restaurants were not open, the bars were closed, but people were going for their exercises, going to get their grocery, were not hanging out. Yep. More because of social responsibility than regulations. So you stopped your drinking, you stopped your... <laughs> nothing. Really? Yeah, because you didn't nothing have a was stash? open. You didn't have a... We can go to buy, okay. like you can go to supermarkets. Oh, right. Order. Okay. Well, grab. That was when grab really became a big part of my life, like oxygen. Everything we needed was grab delivery, yep. grab food, grab everything. And I thoroughly enjoyed myself and I, I enjoy the fact that, you know, I don't have to talk to people, meet people, uh, entertain right. or just yep. uh, socialise with people that I don't really like. <laughs> I'm just with by myself. I think like, that happens more and more as you get older. <laughs> you know, there's, I think... As you get younger, I would say, but yeah. Because now I'm a bit more discerning who I want to spend time with. Yeah, yeah so, that's right. Yeah. And now I try to balance a bit more... It used to be before COVID, almost every other day I'm out having dinner, appointments, media yep. events. Because I'm in PR, every day uh, there's some kind of media engagement, postings. And I now I try to ration uh, a few days a week. And so weekends. I'm pretty lucky to have you on here. Yeah. Yeah. You are. No, but also because this is a this is a trip to meet you and I just want to understand what your podcast is all about. I've been reading <laughs> You're and learning. reading about the Bureau Asia, but I don't know what you are. So now is this is immersive experience getting yeah, it first. You're getting hand. it all. You're getting it all. Finally, mm. uh, you're playing a large role in the upcoming international let me get this right. International <laughs> <laughs> International Luxury Travel Market. Expo? Can I call it an expo? Well, it's is a it? travel trade show. Trade show. So we call it yep. ILTM, yep. affectionately. Yep. Everybody in our industry know that. But I'm not playing a big role. We're doing a facilitator's role okay. because um, we have we are very, very good partners of um, Spotlight Communications who are the ladies in charge of ILTM worldwide. And when they come to Asia, they will need someone who know the Asian media very well and like how I found you for them, right? Right, So you're yes. one of those treasures that we discovered during wow. COVID. And wow, like, I'm a treasure. Yeah, you are. And so she needed um, uh, local connections. And because, you know, the media landscape changed drastically over during COVID and that show was suspended for two years, obviously because of travel, nobody could come for the right. trade show. And now that this is the first show in three years, Everybody, the name list changed from the last round that we had the last show in Singapore. So we had the privilege of going through that list and updating it. So we are sort of like the uh, Asian partners to help them sort of update the list, make the connections because we are the ones who work with you on the ground. 
throughout right. the year. Right. Rather, they are based far away outside of Asia. So we sort of help them manage. And instead of them flying the whole team to Singapore, which is very costly now with the air tickets yeah. and the hotel room in Singapore, is thank very- you for organizing that. By the way, you're welcome. And the hotel rooms. Even the normal three-star hotel is expensive in Singapore. Right, so okay. rather than incurring that kind of cost, GHC Asia comes in with that local support because we're all native Singaporeans, and so they save the cost. They have the local network, and they have the hands and legs to run the show for them. So why not? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. It's three nights, I think. So four days, three nights of trade shows, media, presses, I suppose you call them, cocktails. Dinners, all sorts of sort of stuff. Lunch, breakfast, breakfast, lunch. Yep, and staying in luxury, of course. So I'm really excited. You got a really nice one. Yeah, I have. So, well, yes, because remember, this is the first time there's a physical trade show. I mean, they were doing this virtually, very successful too. I mean, every year that there is ILTM Asia Pacific, and it was always done virtually through a system where we do that. Zooming over the computers, but this is the first time in person. So a lot of these hotel brands are very anxious to come to Singapore to just tell their brand story. So you will get product updates of what has happened since the last trade show. But what is really important for this show is that、um, during the press conferences, you're going to hear about their plans for Asia Pacific, and that will be like their pipeline of new products, a lot of new brand entries. Like in Vietnam, I on this trip, I saw so many new brands. I heard about a lot of exciting、yep. new development for the hotel. There's、scene. a lot in the pipeline, which is so, incredible, really. Yep. Exactly, and they realize that Asia, where we are at, is a Very rapidly growing market, and so everybody is hungry for Asian business and Asian travelers. And hopefully, through media friends like yourself, you、yep. will be able to share the development news with people who are eager to travel like me. Well, hopefully, I don't muck up. Hopefully, I don't drink too many cocktails and muck up. And、uh, you'll invite me you, back. <laughs> I'll be holding you back. Like, come back here. Can you be my manager? <laughs> I will be. I'm like, go to bed because the next morning you have breakfast at 7:45 a.m. Okay. On that note, we better wrap it up. Jelena Sia, thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's great to have you here back in Saigon. Thank you. This is a real pleasure. It's my first, you know. So you are a very special man.、So、thank you for this. You're welcome. And see you on your turf in Singapore. <laughs> yeah, see you in Singapore. In a couple of we-、uh, a Fifth, week. Fifth Ten September. Days. Yeah, fifth、yes. of September. Can't wait. The Bureau Review, brought to you by No One. Well, as you've just heard during the interview with Jelena, I've been dipping my toes in the addictive travel luxury space these past few months or so, which has allowed me to stay at three Bill Bensley Design Resorts in Vietnam. I know, hard to imagine, isn't it? But I'm just letting you know, I'm just as comfortable sipping a cocktail in the Hudson Rooms on the rooftop of the five-star Capella Hanoi. As I am slurping a hot bowl of two dollar fur near Tanmi Market. Anyway, I believe there are four Bill Bensley properties here in Vietnam these days. I'd probably better check that.、Um, the one I haven't stayed at yet is M Gallery up in Sapa. So if anyone up there can hook me up, please do. So if you're wondering who Bill Bensley is, he's an American architect, interior designer, and artist who's designed over two hundred. Hospitality projects in 50 countries, 
and founded studios in Bangkok and Bali way back in 1989 and around 1990. Gradually, Bensley grew from landscaping to offering architecture and interior design. And he's known for not only his luxurious designs, but also their whimsy and the stories they tell within the context the properties are located. For example, last month, I stayed a couple of nights at the recently opened Capella Hanoi. This 47-room gem, uh, not sure that that's the appropriate word for such a stunning property, but anyway, uh, it takes inspiration from the nearby opera house in the old quarter, with each room paying tribute to legendary opera stars, composers and designers, in addition to paying homage to the Roaring Twenties. I stayed in the Lena Cavalieri room. She was an Italian opera singer who lived from 1874 to 1974 and was married four times. I'll post some pics of it on the Bureau Instagram page so you can check it out. Capella's signature restaurant backstage literally represents the backstage of a 1920s theatre, a place where the cast and crew dine and mingle before and after shows and is stunningly decorated with costumes, antiques and artefacts related to showbiz of the era. There's also the Bill Bensley designed property in Da Nang, where I stayed a couple of months back, the intercontinental Da Nang Sun Peninsula Resort, perched on the side of Son Cha Peninsula. It's a stunning resort and the first Bensley designed property in Vietnam that was opened back in 2012. This colourful non-traditional resort was a design revolution for Vietnam at the time. Bensley's hallmark stylistic elements of bold, high contrast decor with whimsical touches, surprise and delight no matter where you find yourself during your stay. You get the feeling with all of his resorts that he keeps you, the guest, in mind as the final piece of the puzzle that brings his properties to life. The one I most recently stayed at last weekend is the JW Marriott Fukuok. I was invited to stay the night to celebrate the relaunch of their stunning Pink Pearl restaurant. I went thinking it was going to be just another event, a large brand wanting an excuse to create some media noise around their resort. But I somehow left feeling re-energized and excited about what's to come in the next three, six, 12 months in tourism in Vietnam. It had a surprisingly positive effect on me. Phu Wok is a 45 minute flight west of Ho Chi Minh City and the JW Marriott can be found on the southeastern tip of the island. The concept of the resort is an abandoned university turned hotel and dedicated to the teachings of all that is natural from anthropology to zoology. More than 5,000 upcycled antiques were used to decorate the property to give it layers of history to the many stories that Bensley created for the project. It's out of this world and even the GM, who essentially lives at the resort, says he discovers something new every day. So you can imagine how overwhelming it can be staying for just 24 hours. It's stimulation overload, but in a good and very luxurious way. Everything from the signs to the interiors to the staff uniforms, even public toilets, follows the narrative. According to Bensley himself, he says it's one of the projects that he's most proud of complete with running track, football field, and incredible swimming pool shaped like a pearl shell. You really should see it. Interestingly, Bensley says on his website that he has an aversion to beach resorts and says, I've designed dozens of beach resorts, but to be honest, I would never vacation at one. He's missing out. He goes on to say that when he was hired to design this resort, it just sounded like another big hotel on the beach. Yes, I agree. 
But he got to thinking and realised that almost all of us enjoyed our college days, some perhaps saying they were the best years of their lives. So why not build a resort based on those happy times? Not a bad idea. The 243-room property is just so incongruous with the tropical island landscape it sits on, but somehow it works, at least for me anyway. Perhaps because I was in a stunning ocean view room with a swimming pool out front. Yeah, simply beautiful. Oh, and not to forget the reason for actually coming here, the Pink Pearl Restaurant, which is something quite like I've never seen before. It's stunning as you would expect, and the food is pretty damn tasty as well. So are the drinks, by the way. It's just an all-round fabulous experience that everyone should get to experience at least once in their lives. The problem is, staying at these Bill Bensley properties only makes you want to stay at another one and then another one, which could become a very expensive hobby when room rates start around $250 to $300 per night. I believe the oceanfront room I stayed in was closer to $400 US per night. So there you have it, this week's review. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you found it educational or entertaining or, lo and behold, both educational and entertaining. Don't forget to let me know your thoughts about this episode by answering the question and commenting at the bottom of the page if you're listening on Spotify. If not, head to the website, thebureauasia.com, where you'll find this episode or go to Facebook at The Bureau Asia. But hey, be nice. Be sure to listen in next episode when I interview the funny and smart David Kay, Wink Hotel's brand manager here in Saigon. Don't miss it. Until then, take care and be safe. This is Matt Cowan. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your week.